It is January 18th, 2011. It's the Sportscasters on the air. My name is Steve Bennett. I'm with my co-host, Donnie Russ. Hey. We are in between the NFL Divisional Championship and the conference championship games so why wouldn't we have a huge hockey show tonight <laughs> that's right tonight we got jack campbell first round pick of the dallas stars uh, 11th overall in the nhl draft and the goalie for the last two u.s national teams in the world junior championships he's going to be joining us and also greg wasinski from puck daddy we're really excited to have greg on he is the editor of the uh, puck daddy site on yahoo sports i'm sure a lot of you hockey fans out there have followed Greg's work, and he's going to be on the show tonight as well. We're really excited about that. But before we can get to that all exciting thing, we have to do our thing, which is three things. Alrighty, I'll kick it off. My first thing, every show has an intro of some sort, and it's not that I don't like the content of his show necessarily, but Colin Cowherd has kind of an odd way of introducing himself. I don't mind the... Uh, Wherever you may be joining us, thanks for making us part of your day. That's kind of a nice way to start. But before that, every time he goes, ah, like just this weird thing he does. Every He's like time. the presidential guy. Remember yeah, that yeah, guy? Sort of. Woo! Yeah. So if we're gonna listen, go all the way. Ah! Yeah, that's Colin Cowherd's <laughs> opening. I don't know where he decided to start that, but uh, yeah, for some reason he starts it with ah every time, and it's always got to me for some reason. All right, my first thing was. Uh, we talk a lot about media on the show, and I don't know if you noticed, but ESPN personality Scott Van Pelt, who's one of the, I'd say, more popular ESPN Sports Center anchors. He also has a show on ESPN Radio uh, with uh, uh, Ryan Rosillo, which I really like a lot. He is on Facebook or uh, Twitter, and uh, his name is at not the fake SVP because nice. there was a fake uh, Scott, Scott Van, Van Pelt, Pelt uh, originally. So he is at not the fake Scott Van Pelt. And the cool thing about him joining Twitter is almost immediately he kind of had an on-Twitter interview with uh, a future guest of ours, James Miller, the author of the ESPN tell-all book at ESPN Book. Uh, and for two straight days, they went back and forth with questions um, on topics like his duties at ESPN, if he Googles himself, and what the decision with LeBron James would have looked like if Scott Van Pelt hosted it. <laughs> and it was actually really cool. You could still find it if you uh, add at not the fake SVP or at ESPN book. Um, it was really, really good back and forth. And it's another reason why we love Twitter. Twitter, one of our favorite things on the sportscasters. Absolutely. My second thing I noticed this week, uh, this isn't, this is, let me set this up as a little scenario here. Seattle's driving, their second drive, right after Chicago scores a touchdown. Took them three plays to score right. their first touchdown. Seven nothing. It was Greg Olson, right? Yeah. Down the seam. Drives the Seattle drive stalls at the Chicago forty. Fourth and one with nine thirty left in the first. They decide to punt the ball. Mm. Which of course the sport, uh, the announcers agreed with. To half the punt here, I can half hear the punt. Yep. Got a punt. They punt to the nine yard line. Two plays later, Chicago completes a pass for 18 yards of the 27. And the announcers not only saying half to punt, they commented on how sh- you got to shift field position here. Well, it took two plays to net 13 yards of field position. Um, and I'm not breaking any new ground here. There's Greg Easterbrook uh, states this all the time. Someday there's going to be a Madden coach that just goes for it in every fourth, like every manageable fourth down. Now, <laughs> the funny thing about this is they don't. At, at that point, two drives later, the Bears get the ball and score. Well, they go for it on a fourth and one and score, which is somewhat poetic justice. And the game's never close. No. Not only is it not close, but from the time that they punted from the 40-yard line, Seattle doesn't even see the Bears' side of the field 
until the third quarter when Leon Washington takes a kick return. Uh, it takes a kick return to like the, the 44, I believe, with about four minutes left in the quarter. At that point, the score was 28 nothing. So rather than go for it at fourth and one in the first one, it was close, maybe get some momentum, whatever. They punted. Game was almost immediately over. Two points here. Always go for it on fourth down in the opponent's side of the field. Unless the field goal makes sense, like you're going to win or it's a close game, whatever. I, I never see the benefit. You just you don't shift the field position enough to uh, have a punt make sense there. Yeah, 40 to the 9. I mean, how, at least it didn't go into the end zone. Right, but that would have been e- even worse. Even still. But, and my second point I think I've made before, but announcers are terrible. And the best way to shift field position is to score. Kick off the ball. Like it. I like it a lot. My second thing. Uh, people are going to get to know that I love Adrian Peterson. <laughs> it's going to be something that I'm going to let make pretty obvious. I'm a big fan of the Oklahoma Sooners, and my all-time favorite Sooner is the great Adrian Peterson. And he's pretty hard to stop on the field. Turns out he's also pretty hard to stop at McDonald's. Did you hear about <laughs> this, Donnie? I did, yes. Yeah, uh, last week Adrian um, was in Minnesota, and uh, he was uh, having a fun night. I don't know what he was doing. But around 3 in the morning, he walked up. To, have you ever done this? Have you ever walked up to the window the of the drive-thru? Through? Yeah, not with a car. I have not. Okay, well, Adrian, you know, God bless him, walked up to the, uh, <laughs> walked up to the, uh, the window there, and he was met by Tiffany Langsley. And uh, he asked her if he could use the, the lavatory. Um, the restaurant was closed, but the drive-thru was open, and uh, Tiffany was nice enough to let all day... After he said, hey, ma'am, my name's Adrian Peterson. This is an emergency. (laughs) (laughs) After that, she allowed him to come in and use the bathroom, and and God darn it, she was fired. Poor girl. Yep. She never thought in a million years that the decision was going to cost me her career, Langsley said. So her job at McDonald's is her career. Um, But luckily enough, uh, when it got out in the news, McDonald's was kind enough to to let Miss Langsley return to her career, and uh, Adrian apologized, and... I just love the story. I, I just <laughs> imagine just being at McDonald's, being at your career at three o'clock in the morning, and up walks all day Adrian, Adrian Peterson, Peterson with an emergency. <laughs> no word on if it was a one or a two, though. <laughs> nice. All right, this last point you're going to disagree with here. Uh, before I say who I'm talking about, if you haven't looked at my notes already, I'm going to give you uh, comparables from Pro Football Reference. Okay. If you've never gone there, they'll make statistical comparisons between players. Like it. Great site. Baseball has one too. The, the career comparisons for this player, who's a quarterback. Okay. Eli Manning, mm-hmm. Carson Palmer, mm-hmm. David Garrard, mm-hmm. Jake DeLome, Tony Romo, Pennington, Aaron Brooks, Doug Williams, Stan Humphreys, Daryl LaMonica. You got a mix there, but not a whole lot of quality. Do you know who the player is? This is a quarterback that's like those quarterbacks. It's like those quarterbacks. I'll give you another hint. Okay. He's been in two Super Bowls. The stat line from the first Super Bowl. 123 yards, okay, nine you're giving completions, it away. It's, it's Roethlisberger. <laughs> two TDs and a 22.6 rating, meaning if he had thrown one ball into the ground, he would have so had it's, better. It's Ben Roethlisberger. Right. His second Super Bowl is a little better, 256, one TD, one interception. He's also got one Pro Bowl. My point is people talk about him like he should be – like he's a Hall of Famer. Like they put him behind uh, Peyton and Brady and Breeze, and that's about it. I just think – He's kind of overrated. He might be one of the best game managers of all time. In the postseason, he's averaged 224 yards a game and less than one and a half touchdowns per game. His career quarterback rating, to be fair, is pretty nice. It's a 92.5. But 
his career average, even in the regular season, 227 yards passing. He's only thrown over 18 touchdowns twice. And it's, he threw for 32, which is a nice number, and 26. Uh, he's, only, he's known as a mobile quarterback. He's only rushed for 200 yards once, which is the equivalent of like 15 yards a game. And he has, in the postseason, only thrown over 300 yards one time, and that was in a loss to Jacksonville. You can't argue with wins, and I will give him that. But Doug Flutie won a lot too, and he didn't get nearly the uh, the props that uh, that Ben Roethlisberger gets, and he uh, has the two rape accusations in a motorcycle crash. Right. Well, here's my take on Big Ben. I think Big Ben's one of those guys who kind of just came into the best possible situation right. for the guy. Right. I kind of remember him moping a little bit on the draft coverage. As uh, Philip Rivers and Eli Manning were picked ahead of him, right? He really he and he kind of he kind of looked down. He looked upset, and then finally he got the call, and ESPN showed him. He got a smile, and he went to Pittsburgh. I don't think there is a place in the world that would be better for Ben Roethlisberger than Pittsburgh. Probably not. He's got the perfect mix of coach and stability and defense and uh, running attack. Everything is kind of perfect for him to be the player that he is. And they haven't had the best offensive line. And they've gotten away with it because his best skill, you said he's kind of known as a mobile quarterback. Really what he is is he's really good at getting out of the pocket and keeping his eyes downfield and making a play when the pocket collapses. The one thing I noticed a lot in the uh, Steelers-Baltimore game, though, wasn't so much, yes, there are plays he gets drilled immediately. But there's a lot of plays where he pump faked like two, three times, probably stood in the pocket for four or five seconds. and. And then we get drilled. So to some degree, I think that's his own doing, which I think he said – I think there was a uh, college coach of his that said, look, I messed up a quarterback trying to coach that out of him before. I'm not going to do that to Ben. And to his credit, I'm not trying to argue that he's not a good quarterback or not even a very good quarterback, but I just think – Not top four for you. No, not top four. I I think I'd rather have a Rivers, who I don't particularly love either. All right, well, hold on. Let's throw some guys out, and you tell me who you would rather have. Okay. Okay, and then what you got to do though is it's for the Steelers. For the, okay, then you're you're gonna have a hard time probably because they're a running team. They're a team that wins with defense, and he's a tough guy too. So he fits the image of the team. He might, like you said, he might be the perfect fit. You know, what would be a team. good good comparison is would you rather have Aaron Rodgers or Big Ben? Because Rodgers can move really well too, and might be pretty good, and might I, have a better arm and better accuracy. I think I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers on the Steelers. And Rodgers is with hot that right running now. game too. Right. I. I I think Aaron Rodgers is the better quarterback. Okay, well, I, I mean, I don't totally disagree with you there. I mean, I, I kind of like Roethlisberger a little bit. Not much the guy. I mean, I think he's trying. He's turned the corner a little bit. Right. Um, like you said, the two rapes and the <laughs> motorcycle accident. and he's just He doesn't seem like a real smart guy. You know what, though? Like us, he does not have an appendix. It's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right, my number three. God... If you can hear me now, <laughs> if there is a such thing as dying and coming back and living another life, let me live the life of Billy Walters. Do you know who Billy Walters is, Don? I do not. Billy Walters was featured on 60 Minutes, the magazine show that they're always saying, coming up after football, 60 right. Minutes, <laughs> unless you're on the West Coast. Right. And then if you're a big fan of The Amazing Race, you have to scramble and try to check if your DVR is going to record Amazing Race because <laughs> 60 Minutes is coming back, on yeah. 20 minutes late. But Billy Walters was featured on 60 Minutes, and who he is is a guy 
who is rich beyond imagination because he's a good at gambling. Oh, I think I did hear about him actually. He's really good at gambling. He is actually feared by the sports books in Las Vegas. He has a private jet, right? Private jet. Yeah. He wheels around. He owns like eight golf courses. That's insane. He's got all kinds of stocks. Um, and he stays at home. He's got a really sick setup. He's got his computer. He's got a little Bluetooth thing on his head. He's got a phone in front of him. He's got a computer. He's got a bunch of TVs. And he actually never sets foot in the casino. He's got a team of about 30 guys spread out throughout the casinos that he communicates with and tells them when to bet. And sometimes he'll even change the line. He'll have one guy bet a soft line and get it to move. And then he'll bet the other team simultaneously with all his other guys on that move line and and bang (laughs) the casinos like that. Wow. And this particular day that they were following on 60 Minutes, and what a babe the girl was doing the interview. I don't know who – I didn't know her name, (laughs) but oh, my God. But still my heart. Between the two of them, I I needed to cool off after this uh, segment. But uh, Walters, he he bets about two, three million dollars a Sunday. That's insane. Two, three million dollars a Sunday. On football. What's his net worth? Did they say? They didn't say. He wouldn't. He wouldn't put I it mean, out. He's but got a jet. You know. You know why he came on? He came on because he wanted to prove the point that although there's some swindlers in the gambling world, that they're not nearly as bad as those on Wall Street. He's got a real disdain for Wall Street. He says he's been swindled by Enron stocks and WorldCom stocks, yeah. and he's really bitter towards Wall Street. But he is an awesome guy. You got to look him up. And Jesus Christ, baby Jesus, God, <laughs> Buddha, whoever I'm Sweet supposed to believe Jesus. in, please let me come back and just be Billy Walters. I just want to make the casinos afraid of me and bet all day. My, me and my brother were talking about it. He said, I just want to be Billy Walters. <laughs> so if you get a chance, um, you have an I- iPad, you can download this 60 Minutes app and uh, you can check out Billy, check Walters. Out Billy Walters. Sick, dude. Is All that right, it? That's, that's three each. Yeah, we got our three through. All right, well, why don't I do some plugs? Um, sportscasters, that's who we are. Don, Steve, we're the hosts. Um, just a reminder, we're a podcast about sports, sports media, and the way sports and pop culture intertwine in the world around us. You can find us on the Twitter, which we love. We love Twitter. You can find <laughs> us at sports underscore casters. What, uh, what key is the underscore on, Donnie? Shift what? Uh, it's a dash. It's next to the zero. <laughs> okay, next to the zero. Shift underscore. underscore. So it's at sports underscore. plural underscore casters. Pretty soon you're going to be, fi- be able to find us on iTunes. We're going through the iTunes process. Right now you can already find us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash the sportscasters. And uh, you can email us the sportscasters at gmail.com. But we're going to be right back with Jack Campbell. All right, a very, good, very exciting time for the sportscasters. We're joined by our first athlete so far. We're joined by the winner of the Best Goalkeeper Award at the uh, 2010 IIHF World Under-18 Championships, the Best Goaltender Award, and All-Tournament Selection at the 2011 World Junior Ice Hockey Champions just here held in Buffalo, and the winner of uh, four medals overall, um, three golds and one bronze for Team USA in various junior tournaments. And the 11th pick in the previous NHL entry draft, Jack Campbell is uh, joining us from Windsor, Ontario, where he's playing his junior hockey. How are you doing tonight, Jack? 
I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on tonight. Looking forward to doing it. Yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, that's a pretty impressive introduction there. How does that sound when you're sitting there on the other on, on the other end of the line, just listening to all these accomplishments you've made? Oh, well, you made me sound pretty good there. <laughs> I got to thank <laughs> you for that. But uh, I don't know. It's all right. Uh, I have a lot of work to do. Uh, but you know what? It, it's exciting, and um, you know, hopefully, I have a lot more hockey to be played. All right. Well, before we get before we get into all this Team USA and World Junior stuff, let's kind of just start a little bit more in the beginning. Growing up in Port Huron, Michigan, and uh, I assume you started uh, playing some AAA hockey. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, you started playing AAA hockey, and did you get any like, a chance to play in any state championships or national tournaments when you were growing up uh, playing uh, Bantam and Pee Wee hockey? Oh, yeah, I was pretty fortunate. Um, you know, I got to thank my parents, you know, for supporting me and letting me play AAA. Um, you know, while I was playing AAA, I, I started with uh, the Little Caesars um, organization, and we actually went to that Quebec Kiwi World Championship, and we actually won that when I was 12. And then from there, I played for uh, Compuware and Honeybaked. Um, you know, I probably played in three to four state championship games, Um you know, I had a lot of a lot of fun playing at that level, but um, you know, it really prepared me for where I am today. And um, you know, those were probably the most fun days you know I've played. Right. So, you played mostly in Detroit then for the Honey Bakes and the um, Compuwares and the Little Caesars, mm-hmm. pretty well known programs. And then I assume you went to festival camps in Michigan, and and along the way you ended up uh, in Ann Arbor on the national development team program. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, you know, just like what you said, I played in Detroit, and, um, you know, USA Hockey has done a great job at, um, you know, scouting for, for the national team, and, um, you know, I was fortunately, um, after a couple solid seasons with some great teammates and coaches, uh, I was able to play for uh, PDP there in Ann Arbor, and, you know, that was just the greatest experience I've had yet to uh, this day, um, you know, whether it was the coaches, the players, um, for, for my development, um you know what, it was great, and you know I wish I could have those two years back again. Now, when you play on the national development team program, it's pretty it's pretty exciting. I mean, you got a chance to play in two different leagues: the North American Hockey League and the USHL. And then you also spend your year going around and playing various D one uh, programs. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the competition? Um, did you notice a big difference between year one and two, going from the uh, North American Hockey League to the USHL? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, obviously, uh, playing Division One teams—that's uh, that's pretty much the ultimate for the uh, for a seventeen-year-old kid. But uh, you know, what, what, whether it was the uh, North American League, the USHL, um, Division One, or International, USA Hockey did a great job at um, really challenging the guys. Um, you know, on the team, and you know, we were probably sixteen-year-old kids when we were playing in the North American League, and. Um, that was that was a really tough adjustment, especially for uh, the guys that were just playing AAA at their own age. Um, so you know what, whether it was uh, you know the USHL or the North American League, uh, it definitely got the most out of us. Why don't you give us I don't know two or three guys that you played with in the North uh, in the National Development Team program that you think are going to be just studs in the National League? Oof. I could probably name like 15, but uh, <laughs> off the top of the list would definitely have to be Jason Zucker. He's uh, he's at Denver University right now. Um, we've won all three world championships together, and uh, he was there this year as well. And um, you know what? He's just an unbelievable hockey player. You know, he's got that all, the, uh, all the skills in the right? world, but you know, he uh, he's a competitor too. So 
He'll be one for sure. Uh, two, I'd say Justin Falk. He goes to Minnesota Duluth. He's a defenseman. Um, he actually passed Eric Johnson for the most goals um, ever by in the NTDP. So uh, it's a pretty good accomplishment. Um, and then three, I'd have to say um, Brandon Saad. He'll probably go top five this year. Yep. Um, you know, he's just a great player. He he shows up all the time in the big games and, um, you know, what he wants to get to the next level. So those three guys are locked for the NHL, but I, I could go on all day with other teammates too. Nice. All right, well, let's start with the first World Junior Championship um, in Saskatchewan and um, in Canada. And uh, you guys yeah. kind of came in under the radar. Um, Canada obviously had the 10 first-round draft picks of the five that you guys had. And you played yep. you played them on New Year's Eve and uh, had the big lead and lost the lead and lost in the shootout. How did that help you guys prepare for the gold medal game? Do you, do you think that that gave you a v- big advantage having that July th- or January thirty first game? Did that prepare you for uh, the medal round? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, playing them on New Year's Eve and and seeing that not only could we compete with them, but we could uh, ultimately beat them if we played a perfect game. Um, you know, like going into that gold medal game, we were a confident group. Uh, the guys did a great job the whole tournament. Uh, we had a couple big wins there against Finland and Sweden in the uh, elimination games, and I think that was the difference that year um, and why we had success in, against Canada because we were really tested. And, um, you know, what we did, when we got to that gold medal game, we just left it all on the line. And, um, you know what, we just uh, did a great job at sticking to the game plan and going out there and playing with their hearts. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of seemed like this year in Buffalo, it seemed like you guys kind of got an easy an easy draw for a World Junior Championship tournament. I mean, the first game you were tested, you went to overtime, but it seemed like you guys kind of coasted along into the semifinals, and it wasn't until about 7.25 and Canada was kind of running you guys out of the building that it, the tournament really started for Team USA, it seemed like. Yeah, you know, I think that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, Finland was a great team. We we had a big win against them in overtime, but we never really got that true test after that. You know, the Swiss gave us a real good game. Um, you know, Germans tried to hold on and things like that. But when it comes down to it, you can't prepare for a team like Canada until you until you really play them. So um, we had we had eight returning guys, and we tried we did our best. You know, all the leaders really stepped up and tried to prepare the team to. Um, you know, what to expect for that game, whether it was the crowd, whether it was, um, you know, how how hard they were going to come at us or, or what we had to do to win. But, um, you know what, you got to give Canada credit for coming out that strong and um, really playing the best I've ever seen that team play. Now, two years ago, you guys really only had the one pro in Carlson. And this year you guys yeah. had about four pros. Do you, and yeah. let's, let's talk about Jerry D'Amigo because he really struggled in the tournament. Do you think it's hard – for someone to get a taste of professional hockey and then come back to the world juniors and play with the same intensity. Like, I don't know. It just didn't seem Um, like D'Amigo was the same player as he was the year before when he was just a freshman at RPI still working his way up, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously there's going to be an adjustment, whether you're going from pros back down to junior or junior up to the pros. And, um, I gotta, I gotta say that it's probably harder to come back down from the pros to junior just because you have that speed, you have the timing down up at that next level, and trying to, uh, you, it's easier to step up your game against better players than it is to uh, 
try to bring your game down to like where everybody else's is and you know what jerry uh jerry did his best you know you know he didn't obviously have quite the tournament he had last year but that'd be pretty hard to match just because of how special the tournament was but uh you know what it it just shows that um you know it's a tough adjustment and um a lot of guys struggled with it i want to talk a little bit about the uh about the tournament and something that comes up every year and that's celebrating your victory. Now, <laughs> last year, Team USA kind of had a viral, I'll say, video uh, from the locker room, uh, kind of celebrating with the uh, Hey Mama, Don't You Cry uh, song, yep. uh, USA Do or Die. And that kind of got you guys a little bit of flack because it had the, the swear word at the end. And, and Team Russia took a lot of flack this year for kind of acting like almost drunken sailors, it seemed like, on the ice after their win. Um, where do you yeah. do you fall on the side of the players, or do you kind of fall on the side of the oh, act like you've been there before kind of stuffy media view? Where where do you come out on that? Being someone who's been able to celebrate a victory like that. Well, as far as the uh, the chant we did after we win, that that just comes from our boxing coach at the National Team Development Program. Um, you know, we we'd always box each other, and you know, all the guys that played there went through a lot of hard times and our boxing coach, who's literally the most intense guy I'll ever meet, like, he's the scariest guy ever, he uh, taught us, he taught us that chant, and if we ever won a world championship, that's what we sing, so, uh, to be honest, I don't really think the media should have posted that on online or, or whatnot, just because, obviously, there's the swear word, and you don't want the kids to hear that, but, um, you know, it's just kind of like our thing, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams and countries have different, um, you know, post-celebration type things they do, and, that's just kind of the one thing we did that's special to us. So, um, but as far as um, you know, what kind of player I am when we win, my thing is just just going back and watching the games and and just kind of learning from them, so the next year I can have the same success. Right. Let's talk about draft day. Uh, what did you do? Did you go? Oh yeah, yeah. I was in LA for you were in LA uh, Staples six day, five five days or so and. I had about 16 family members out there supporting me, and it really was just uh, a crazy summer. It was a lot of fun, and a lot of hard work went into it. You know, 18 years of, of hockey and a lot of support from people, and, um, you know, what to get drafted where I did to uh, to Dallas was just unbelievable, and, um, you know, it was definitely the first big step I took to, you know, hopefully play in the National Hockey League. Now, a lot of people through the NFL Network are, are, are familiar now with the uh, National Football League's combine and, and how it works in the in, ins and out with the 40s and the reps and all that. But I don't think people are as familiar with the NHL's kind of newer uh, scouting combine. Can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like going through the uh, combine? Yeah, definitely. Well, the first, um, first couple of days are all interviews. Um, my, myself, I had probably 25 interviews out of the 30 teams and, um, you know, they're about anywhere from 10 to 30 minute interviews and, um, you know, they go fast. That's for sure. You know, uh, the first couple, you're kind of nervous and, you know, the teams do a good job at recognizing that it's like your first time with the talking NHL team. So it's just a lot of fun. Like I, I love the combine and, um, you know, after those first couple of days of, uh, interviews, it got into the physical testing, which was just one morning on the last day. And what that, what that's like, I really can't describe it for, uh, for me personally, I just love to compete and, and to show what I show what I can do. So, 
there were probably a hundred scouts in, in a little jam packed room just watching uh watching all the guys work out and um you know it was probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. That's awesome. So now the combine kind of led up to the draft. Now, did you have a good idea that Dallas was going to be the team that would pick you, or were you not sure? Was there a team before Dallas that you were hoping might pick you and that was kind of a letdown, or, or how was it in the arena as the draft was kind of going going on? You know, Taylor Hall gets picked, and then the draft is kind of going, and how was it for you? Yeah, um, you know, obviously Dallas is the team I really wanted to get drafted by. Um, you know, just growing up being a Marty Turco fan, that, that would have been awesome, so... I'm happy it worked out. Um, my agent told me a couple teams were trying to trade up a little bit higher, um, but it didn't really fall through. So, you know, when I saw 11 came up and, and Cam Fowler and Brandon Gormley were still on the board, yep. I was a little unsure if Dallas was still going to take me. But, um, you know, what? I'm really glad they did, and um, I'm really excited about being a Dallas star. Now, what are you going to do about the kind of – it's – Goalies are turning out to be the NHL's version of quarterbacks, and that what running I mean backs. by that is that running backs. No, I mean quarterbacks. What oh, okay. I mean is that kind of they're turning into be real hit or miss in the draft, especially the first rounders. Um, since 1997, yep. I think there's been about 24 goalies um, who've been drafted in the first round, and um, only eight of them have played 40 or more NHL games. So, what are you going to do to be one of the eight and not one of the? Uh, however many is left, uh, 32. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of people before the draft were talking about that, like how teams shouldn't draft goalies in the first round. Um, but you know what? Uh, I kind of got the first taste of that this, this year to start the year in the OHL. Uh, um, you just, it's just so, it's just such a mental position. Um, you know, you can have all the physical tools in the world, but if you're just a little bit off mentally, it can really affect your game. And I can kind of see how that could affect a lot of goalies that have gotten drafted in the first round and have struggled and haven't played in the NHL yet. But uh, as far as me personally, um, you know, I have a lot of great resources, whether it's Mike Valley, the Dallas goalie coach, uh, Joe Exter, my goalie coach at the U.S. program, or, you know what, I have a t- I could go down the list of all the people I have. And, and not only that, but the confidence in myself and my own abilities, as well as my teammates, um, you know, that goes a long way. So I'm, I'm, I'm confident that, uh, you know, hopefully I won't be one of those goalies that gets picked high on draft day but doesn't play. Now, you probably let your state down a little bit. Um, they kind of thought that you were going to be coming to the University of Michigan. You had made a verbal commitment, but instead you decided to play in the CEHL. What was the big reason that you decided to – because I would think you'd be the classic, you know, college hockey guy that kind of comes up through the development team and then – you know, plays a little bit of uh, in USHL and plays World Juniors. You seem like the perfect fit for college hockey, but instead you decided to go the uh, Canadian Hockey League route. Why? What went into that decision? Oh, well, for me personally, it was a hockey decision. Um, you know what? I, I love the University of Michigan. It, it would have been such a great opportunity, and i got to thank Michigan for giving me that opportunity. Um, but personally, I, I'm just a hockey player. I absolutely love hockey. Uh, my life revolves around hockey and um, playing, you know, hopefully close to 85 games this year with playoffs or 90 games. Um, you know, that's huge for my development. Um, going to college, I'd only be playing 15 to 30 games a year, whether I start or not, and, and things like that. So my goal of getting to the NHL by, you know, in the next couple of years here or next year, uh, 
you know what, I, I just felt that going to Windsor would really accelerate my development and, uh, and just get me to that next, uh, that next level quicker. Now, do you follow the Dallas Stars right now? Is that like your favorite team? You got a hat, and did you watch Kerry Lettinen last night with the uh, penalty <laughs> shot in the last minute and kind of put yourself in his shoes and say, oh, this could be me in a couple years, or you kind of just focus uh, yeah, on your you own know, thing? I follow those guys, um, pre- I, not just Dallas, but uh, pretty much every every team. Every night before I go to bed, I watch pretty much every game, like, like all the highlights on NHL.com, and uh you know, just kind of catch up on all the scores and things like that. But, you know, I definitely keep track of Dallas. And, you know, what I hope those guys uh, bring it home this year would be pretty cool. What do you think of the uh, All-Star game format? Are you looking forward to the uh, the draft and all that and the way the, way the NHL has kind of changed the All-Star game? Yeah, it'll be pretty cool. It's a, it's a neat thing that they're doing, just trying to mix it up a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't really have any um, input or, like, you know, it doesn't really matter to me, like, what way they do it or not. It's just a lot of fun to kind of watch. And, um, you know, being over here in Canada, the uh, the hockey's always on the TV and things like that. So it's it's really cool and exciting. And uh, this is just another event that I'm really looking forward to watching. And Windsor's one of the better teams to play on in the OHL. I mean, you have a great, great fan support. You're close to uh, close to your home there in Michigan, uh, not far off. Yeah. Um and uh, well, tell us a little bit about Jack Campbell, the kid. Like, what do you like? I, I know you love college football. What else? You love hockey. What else? What else do we need to know about Jack Campbell, the kid? Uh, I love movies. Uh, you know, every Tuesday night we have uh, team movie night, so I'm always there with the guys. Um, you know, I, I like going to the beach. Um, you know, I'm pretty much just a pretty like pretty down to earth type guy. I I like to uh, just play sports all summer long and hang out with friends, so I'm, I'm really nothing too different than any other kid, and um, yeah, so those are my pretty much my biggest passions. Do you play roller hockey in the summer when you're home? Yep, uh, me and my best friend, one of my best friends, Brandon Archibald from Saginaw Spirit in the OHL, we live uh, real close to each other, so we just, uh, we play all the time, and uh, you know, he puts on the pads, and I'm always the uh, <laughs> the center, so I always get to score on him a little bit. It's pretty fun. <laughs> who, who? Speaking of scoring on, who, who's been the toughest for you to uh, to stop in the OHL or in the world tournaments? What players have you had a real, real tough time with that kind of psych you out a little bit? Oh, the two toughest I'd say would be um, last year Jordan Eberle. He uh, somehow found a way to score on me like five times in two games or something ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not too happy about that. So, well, he was pretty, you know, pretty I, clutch I guy. I'm definitely going to remember that if I ever make Dallas and we have to play him. So, um, yeah, so Jordan's done a great job at scoring on me. And uh, and then Tyler Toffoli on Ottawa, he uh, got two goals on me Friday night. He just has an absolute bomb of a one-timer. So he's, uh, he's a pretty good player, and uh, it's pretty fun to compete against these guys. Now, we're in Buffalo. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Zach Cassie and the Sabres' first-round pick? You get to see him every day in practice and play with him. What kind of uh, what kind of player can Sabres fans expect when uh, Zach makes his way to Buffalo? Well, he's going to fill up the seats pretty quickly in Buffalo. He uh, he does it all. He's, he's probably one of the best players I've ever played with. Uh, you know, I'm not just saying that. He, uh, you know, he'll fight. He uh, He's definitely the toughest guy I know. Um, he scores goals. He he has one, some of the best vision as far as playmaking ability I've seen. And um, you know what? When it comes down to it, he, he really is a good guy, and um, he wants the team to win. And 
you know what, he's going to be a great asset for the uh, the Buffalo Sabres, and, you know, it's not going to be a lot of fun to play him, <laughs> you know, down the road in Buffalo. <laughs> All right, Donnie, that's Jack Campbell. What do you think? Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for being on the show tonight. You can you can find Jack Campbell. Uh, this is a new cool thing we've been talking a lot on the show is that, that the Twitter, Donnie. Yeah, yeah you, Twitter. Can, you can find Jack on Twitter at, at jcamps192. Um, Windsor Spitfire. Uh, then you're going to go next year to uh, to rookie camp, I'm sure, somewhere and uh, see where you land. And you think you'll be in the AHL next year or you think you'll be uh, in the OHL again next year? Or even the NHL. What do you think? Where do you think we'll find you next year? Uh, you know what? That's not really up for me right now. I'm just trying to help Windsor win some hockey games here, and you know, we'll see what happens next year during training camp. But I'm definitely going to be working as hard as I can to try to land a spot somewhere in Texas. All right, good attitude. Well, we're going to be rooting for you. So thanks a lot for All coming right. on the show. We really appreciate it. A good U.S. kid, 11th pick in the NHL draft, Jack Campbell. Thank you very much for being on the Sportscasters. Hey, thanks a lot. That was a lot of fun. All right, thanks, thanks buddy. Jack. All right, the sportscasters are back after a really fun interview with uh, Team USA and Windsor Spitfire goalie Jack Campbell. That was fun, wasn't it, Donnie? Yeah, it was. I don't like to root for the Dallas Stars, obviously, but... Uh He's a good kid. I hope he does well. Really nice kid. Nice enough to join the Sportscasters. You can find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Sportscasters. And you can drop us an email at thesportscasters at gmail.com. Before we get Puck Daddy in, I just want to do a few minutes on a couple of subjects with the NFL this weekend. Um, it's, cha- it's championship weekend. It's the two games. They're both Sunday. Um, they're mid-afternoon, early evening starts. I think one's around 3 and then one's around 6.30-ish. Uh, it's going to start with the NFC. The AFC game is late. First thing, the media has the, – the networks have got to be thrilled with the matchups. Could you ask for more than – look at this, Donnie. One, they got New York, right. okay, and the Jets, who've been a big team since day one with the uh, hard knocks. They kind of started the NFL season. Biggest market in the country. Biggest market in the country. They got New York. And then New York is playing the Steelers, which is one of the biggest franchises right. in the history of football, the most Lombardi trophies. They're on their drive for uh, seven, looking for their seventh uh, Lombardi trophy more than anybody. Huge football market. People all over the country love the Steelers. Okay. Then on the NFC side, they have the Packers, one of the most storied franchises. Now get this. They're playing, the Packers and the Bears are playing for the Hallis Trophy. Okay, which is the NFC Championship Trophy, right? Which is uh, named after Hallis, one of the great uh, Chicago Bears legends, and the winner gets to play for the Lombardi Trophy, which is named after the right. Packers coach Vince Lombardi, Vince Lombardi. So, what do you think? The media has to be thrilled. They couldn't have got two better matchups. Finally, Seattle is gone. The nightmare of the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> is over. And uh, what do you think about the matchups this weekend uh, from a media standpoint? Yeah, you're right. I mean, having New York in there, as much as uh, the Jets are polarizing, people seem to hate them if you're not from New York. But, I mean, number one market, Chicago is what, the number two market? Or maybe three behind L.A. Three or behind L.A., yeah. L.A. doesn't have a team. So. Yep, number two in the league. Yeah, they got it. They got to love it. And Steelers. They got stars everywhere. They got Cutler, Roethlisberger. Um, they got <laughs> – The coach is kind of the star of the Jets. Yeah, Rex Ryan <laughs> and Sanchez and uh, – Scott after his little Scott rant. Scott after his <laughs> rant, which was hilarious. Awesome, yeah. yeah, look it up on YouTube if you can, and it was really funny. 
Um, but I, I think it's just a huge weekend. It's going to do huge numbers. Last weekend uh, was the highest-rated uh, divisional championship weekend of all time. Um, they got to sort this lockout out. Oh, they yeah. can't be locking out. They, they're in the perfect position. They got the sports world by the balls. How could they ruin it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's millionaires fighting billionaires. Nobody's going to win. What what is everyone gonna fantasy football place has got to be crapping themselves right now? I mean, what are you gonna do? CFL fantasy sort, football? Sort it out. But yeah. I got a question for you. Get it done. Uh, CBS uh, for their coverage of the championship game, they're gonna throw Steve Tasker and a chick. I forget who. Maybe Andrew Kramer. Okay. Or I don't know somebody down on the sideline, one on each sideline. Um and uh. Fox is going to go with the one sideline reporter. Where, where do you stand on sideline reporters? Do you want the two or do you want the one or do you want one? What do you think about them? It depends who. I mean, like they have uh, – what's his name on Fox typically? Uh, they got to- uh, the big fat the guy from the Ravens. Yeah. He's terrible. Awful. He adds nothing. He stands no. in the end zone. He, so he doesn't, doesn't offer anything. He doesn't really seem to interview many people or anything. He just kind of chimes in. And it's and too that. bad because I like that team too. And he right. ruins it. Yeah, he's just kind of like like if your drunk buddy was sitting behind you yelling stuff while you did a broadcast. I mean, I, he just doesn't add much. I'm Pam the, Oliver will be the sideline reporter in the NFC game. Okay. Yeah, she's with usually with Buck and Aikman. I mean, on the flip side, it's weird because I do like the little things like that Versus will do for hockey broadcasts where they'll ask the coaches. Like, but they kind of do it in the middle of the game, and I guess that maybe that adds to it. They usually ask him a lot of – Softball questions. They don't get any real answers. He's so running I, away. I, right, the coach yeah. is running As away. He's running off the field. He's out of breath. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't add anything for me. And it's kind of like the information they provide. The announcers could provide the information just as well. You right. know, I mean, they're standing on the sidelines, but usually nothing really happens on the sidelines of an NFL game. I mean, they, sometimes they can say, oh, well, he got his helmet taken away or something like that. But I don't know. I, I think the most important thing maybe Too many voices. For, yeah, I think the most important thing they're there for is probably, I mean, they need somebody there, maybe not mic'd, but for injury updates. Like if someone goes off the field, it's kind of nice to know what happened to them. Well, we're going to pick the two games later in the, in the pick four segment, um, but I just wanted to touch on a few of those media items. Anything else from you, Donnie, on uh, championship weekend here before we move on? No, I mean, there's a lot of teams I don't like there, but it's also a lot of matchups that are great. So I mean, should do a huge rating. Yeah, it's going to do a huge rating. It's going to be cold everywhere. This weekend, it's just be freezing. Um, everyone's going to be home watching the football, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a really great weekend for the NFL. So I All hope they right. I yeah. hope they don't ruin it. Not on a prediction side, but I mean, is there a bad Super Bowl at this point? Like, could the, maybe Chicago Jets wouldn't be the greatest because that's New York and Chicago. Oh, no, I One know three. for the NFL. I mean, entertainment wise, like yeah, entertainment wise, that's probably the most boring because, just because it might of the be style scoring, of the teams, right. but. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't think, the think NFL there's a real bad one. No, right. I think it can go either way. They can just sit back and enjoy. But uh, we're we're gonna take a break, and we're gonna come right back with uh, from the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo Sports, Greg Wyshynski. All right, we're back on the Sportscasters. Super excited for our next guest. Um, we are pleased to welcome the editor of the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo Sports. Uh, he's Greg, 
Greg Wyshynski. He's a graduate of the University of Maryland and the author of the 2006 book, Glow Pucks and Tencent Beer, the 101 Worst Ideas in Sports History. And you can find him on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. Greg, thank you for joining us on the Sportscasters. How are you doing tonight? Well, it's wonderful to be here. It's, uh, thank you for the, the book, Pimp. I, <laughs> I still believe that it is the best-reviewed uh, bathroom sports book of lists in the history of sports journalism. It's, <laughs> it's funny that you say that because last night when I was doing a little research for the interview, um, I actually noticed that uh, there was an electronic version of the book now, so I downloaded a sample, and uh, this morning when I used the bathroom, I actually read it for 15 <laughs> minutes today. So <laughs> I, I didn't realize that, it, <laughs> that anyone had taken the time to digitize that uh, masterpiece. Yeah, but, you, uh, you can buy that on Kindle now. You can buy it, it on the Kindle. Because, it must be because my Amazon ranking keeps dipping under a million. Yeah, it, no, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's well into the millions. <laughs> I was, <laughs> but, right. I mean, in fairness, you, you do have a book coming out in 2012. Is that right, about the, uh, about the devils? Uh, well, that's sort of, kind of percolating a little bit. Uh, that, that's a book that's just been kind of in the works for a bit. Uh, it's, a, it's a people's history of the team. Um, it's, it's sort of like fan recollections of different moments throughout Devil's history, and it's a project that's been kind of ongoing for God since before the lockout, and it's just one of these situations where we had it ready to rock and roll, the lockout hit, and it was kind of tough to publish a book, right. and uh, and so that, that that one's been kind of just sort of on the back burner. I, I'm not quite sure when the right time to finish it would be, but I've got some other some other book projects here and there, but... Uh, it's a, it's a little tough when uh, the uh, the blog and the radio show take up so much uh, damn time. So right, I'm sure the Devils fans would uh, be interested in getting something like that right about now. <laughs> yeah, I think this. Yeah, luckily, luckily, I, I won't have to do those extra chapters that I was worried about doing. I think the the history of the team will probably end uh, somewhere <laughs> last summer. Um, you know, we'll just the last word in the book will be. Uh, will be a Kovalchuk, uh, and then we'll just keep it at that. <laughs> well, speaking of teams who are probably about to turn a new chapter, uh, we're in Buffalo, and uh, we're actually getting really excited about Terry Pagula uh, taking, uh, taking charge here. What, what, can, uh, what do you know about Terry, uh, and what do you know about the potential sale of the Sabres? The first thing I, I ever knew about this guy was through his, uh, his philanthropy his Penn, word, State. At Penn State. Yep. Right. Um, that was the first time I'd heard about him, and, and you know, I, I did a I did a story about the uh, that that program going D one and all the money that that family pumped into the, uh, the university to, right? to build the arena right? and to get the program going and the whole thing. And, and having I used to cover college and high school sports, and I know that it's it's an it takes an amazing amount of commitment to try to get a program like that off the ground, and that's what really impressed me. I mean, it's obvious he's a hockey guy. It's obvious that there's hockey in his family, and it's obvious that um, he's willing to ante up to make something happen for you know people that love the game. And, and, and those three things, and everybody that I talked to at Penn State just really spoke about him glowingly. Now, granted, it's, <laughs> you're not going to find too many people that are going to disparage a guy dropping that amount of coin yeah, to go right, to the arena right. and that kind of thing. But, but at the same time, I really kind of felt that uh, there was genuine appreciation for his commitment to the game. If, if everything does go through, and it seems like everything will, can Darcy Regeer and Lindy Ruff really survive another ownership change? Uh, I don't know. That's, that's tough to say, I, only because um, I feel like you underestimate them at your own peril, right? I mean, there have been so many times, especially in Ruff's case, where you'd figure that, they were, that he was toast and then he just winds up hanging around. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those situations where 
um, you, you're pretty sure that under new ownership, if things bottomed out, let's say, uh, then uh, you know th- there might be a change. But I think if and if anything, maybe you see the purse strings open up a little bit and then see what right. happens with this team under this this regime with uh, maybe an expanded budget. But that's just speculation. I don't even know. Maybe he'll be he'll be even cheaper. I have no idea. And <laughs> now you guys, uh, your team has uh, 12 wins, so you uh, you're probably. Uh, already thinking draft, and we'll talk about that later. But the Sabers are about ten points back with uh, thirty-eight games to go. But it's over, right? I mean, there's going to be no playoffs in the HSBC Arena this year, will there be? Uh, it's tough to say. You know, the the bottom half of the conference in the East, and it's you know, I think the West is really, really topsy turvy this year as far as like a number of different teams other than the Oilers having a shot at getting in. Right in the in the East, I mean, obviously you're dealing with some. Some teams like Tampa Bay would be a good example, that, and Atlanta that are kind of playing maybe above and beyond where where we thought they'd be. But ten points out at this point in the season, it's not undoable, but uh, but it is a, a bit of a tall order. Uh, it would take a couple of teams falling back to the pack, I think, and 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 honestly, that's not out of the realm of possibility to have an Atlanta or the Rangers or someone like that uh, kind of tumble back a little bit. Right. Now let me ask you a little bit, uh, the last couple of days, his name, kind of like it always is in the NHL, has been everywhere, but what about Sidney Crosby? Uh, you already said on Twitter you don't think that he's actually going to protest the All-Star game, but rather that the leak itself was a protest, right? But uh, my, great, my, my question is about a greater point. Does the NHL do enough to protect superstars, or is Crosby just a baby? He's not a baby. I mean, I think, if anything, he's... I guess the word you could probably use is hypocritical if you wanted to take it to the extreme. Because I mean, the bottom line is that the guy Plays had to get Cook. concussed um, by by two different hits before he really stood up and said something about the, the right. hits of the head and the blindside hits. And I mean, it, it's it's not as if he was silent on it when the Matt Cook Savard thing happened. He, he he did talk about it. It's it's just that he wasn't as vehement and and, and calling out a, a headshot as being you know dangerous or illegal and that kind of thing. So. I mean, but that's that's bygones. It's a good thing for him to be active. It's a good thing for him to to be an advocate for for trying to change the way things are going. Are are is there enough protection of superstar players um, or, or players in general? I I'd like to see how this rule plays out before we really make a judgment. I mean, this has been a year of sort of adjustment to this new thing. The players are learning what they can and can't do. The league is is levying uh, fines and suspensions for stuff that probably wouldn't have been penalized last year or year before. So I think we've got to kind of sit back and see how this thing plays out. I'm not a guy who ever wants to see any contact with the headband in the NHL. I, I just, I, that's, that's, not, that's not the game that I like. And, uh, and I know that it works in other leagues and that sort of thing, but it's not what I look for in the NHL. And, uh, and so the, you know, the, the Crosby thing, <laughs> the Crosby thing, uh, it's, it's a positive thing to have him on, on this story and to be an advocate for it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what that advocacy eventually leads to. Right. So you're saying, like, basically that he's fighting for, like, a, the right cause. But do you think in his instance, is he right that Steckel deserved to be suspended? By the letter of the law, he did. I mean, they, they, the, the Rule 48 kind of, it, it's not a, a rule about, uh, about uh, intent. Malicious, malicious intent. Right. I mean, it's any kind of blindside contact, right? But it didn't and, even look like he saw him. Well, well, there's the, there's the argument that they just kind of ran into each other, right. you know, uh, which is fine. But it's it's clear that there was a hit to Crosby's head. Right. He wasn't expecting the hit, 
And I think that if you take that into account with the spirit of the rule and why we have it, it's to prevent stuff like that from happening. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you want to put all the responsibility on Crosby, there needs to be some mutual responsibility there. I, I, I don't believe the Capitol fans, a lot of them, line that this was, this was uh, just a, uh, something that should be just passed over and, and, and not even worry about it. I, I kind of agree with Crosby that if you look at the letter of the law and you look at what they've done in the past, you know, it's, it's something that probably should have deserved some punishment. It doesn't change the fact that he got concussed. Um, right. But uh, but I, I kind of agree with Sid on that one. You know, it just feels like the discipline in the NHL is just so random. I mean, I have no idea what Colin Campbell's going to do on a, on a case-by-case situation. I mean, it just seems like it, your guess is as good as mine or, or as good as anyone's when it comes to Colin Campbell and how random he is. Doesn't the discipline in the NHL feel random to you? It doesn't seem like you can even draw on precedence. No, it's a total joke. Yeah. And it's always been a joke. And, and it was a joke long before... We realized that Colin Campbell was, uh, you know, exchanging emails with referees about calls made about his son. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line, it, it's, it's always going to be like this, and, and there's always going to be politics that play into it. There's always going to be prior history to play, that plays into it, reputations. I mean, for God's sakes, we just had an instance where Danny, Danny Briere received a fine for smacking Brandon Press from the bench. Thousand bucks, right? Yeah, and then Hartnell smacks him from the bench, doesn't get anything. Right. And right. How did that happen? So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's always going to be an inconsistent mess of a, of a system, and, um, and, and it's their own doing. I mean, there are inconsistencies and, and the, uh, the looking the other way on things that I think for a lot of fans are obvious have all kind of played into the players and the fans none of us really knowing what's illegal anymore and what's legal. Right. And I, I think halfway through the season, it's pretty safe to say, I don't know if you agree with this, that the new NHL is pretty much all the way back to the old NHL. Insofar as what? As far as like the... Well, uh, as far as just the play with the hooking and the holding and the slide. I mean, it just doesn't seem like uh, the new NHL, as we called it uh, three years ago when the Sabres were flying around and, <laughs> and had Briere and Jury and all that. It just doesn't seem like that kind of hockey is there anymore. It seems like all the goals are scored right around the net, you know, and it just it seems like it's back to the way it was, that they, they would rather uh, that Colin Campbell and uh, Gary Bettman and the rest of the league is just content with... with the play just drifting back to what it was. I wouldn't say it's the same because I mean, I, I, them taking out the red line and, and allowing the two line passes changed the game fundamentally. Where it's never going to necessarily go back to the clutch and grab trappy days. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, I, I think if anything, we've seen maybe an emphasis on defensive play by some of these teams to the point where even the Washington Capitals have been playing the trap this year. And when that happens... And the Rangers. Yeah, yeah exactly. The yeah. Rangers. There are a lot of teams that are, are putting an emphasis on defense, um, whether it's because they don't have the, the guns to compete with, with teams like the Blackhawks and the Flyers and, and people like that, or the Penguins, or not. I mean, there just seems to be more of a defensive responsibility that does kind of clog the neutral zone, and, and, and it's more counterpunch than punch and that sort of thing. And, and from that aspect, I kind of agree with you, but I don't think that it's anywhere near the, the, the just... Sand, you know, quicksand slog that it was right. back when, well, back in those beautiful <laughs> days. In the Devils, you know. yeah. do, you, do you take responsibility for that as a Devils fan? The trap predated the Devils. Uh, the, the trap was something that was instituted by the by Montreal years before. Um, I, I, if anything, I blame expansion. Because you know what? As, as bad as the Devils trap was um, in 95, they eventually modulated it and really became kind of an exciting team. I mean, in 2000, when they won the Cup, 
Go they have, the personnel to really play more right. of an up-tempo style. They, they counterpunched it. They, I think they, if they didn't lead the league in goals, they were amongst the leaders in goals. It's the teams like the Florida Panthers that came in, where instead of having guys like, uh, you know, Stefan Riche and, uh, and Claude Lemieux on their roster, they had guys like Brian Scrudland on their first line. And, it, and they, you know, they're all clutching and grabbing and, and doing whatever they can in front of Van Beesbrook to try to win games two to one. And they really and so, wrecked, they really wrecked the 96 playoffs too, the Panthers. Oh God, yeah. So yeah. it was, it was a lot of teams that, that were, I'd say, you know, expansion teams, teams on the way up, teams that may not, not, not necessarily have had the same level of op- offensive talent that, uh, that really kind of, perpet- you know, perpetrated the trap. I'm not going to lie. I think the fact that the Devils had success you know, set a template for a lot of teams. But, you know, at the same time, I think that the Devils weren't the same team in 95 that they were a few years later playing a defensive style. So we're going to get to see a lot of offense next weekend with the All-Star game uh, back after a year off because of the Olympics. And I'm wondering, today the, the captains were announced, Lidstrom and Stahl, are you satisfied with those picks? And do you think that the Crosby injury kind of forced their hand? Do you think it would be Lidstrom and Crosby if not for the uh, concussion concerns? Well, I'm satisfied with the stall one because I ser- seriously, my wrist is getting tired from patting myself on the back <laughs> from having, having called Eric Stahl as the captain back in November. Um, and, and Lidstrom was just a guess, but I also kind of guessed him too. But the stall thing to me made sense. Uh, I figured at the end of the day, these guys, when they voted for, for a captain, were going to kind of play it safe and picking the guy from the town where the All-Star game is, is as safe as you can possibly get. And plus, I think he's a, he's a good choice, too. I mean, uh, it gives the fans in Raleigh a rooting interest in the game. Right. Gonna be, if, you know, or if you have Team Stahl versus Team Lidstrom, your chances are going to be cheering, against team, cheering for Team Stahl, which is kind of fun. Um, the, the, the Crosby thing, I, I really do believe that he would have been one of the captains had it not been for the injury. I, I, I interviewed Brendan Shanahan last night for a piece on Puck Daddy, and, and it was pretty apparent that these guys, whenever they would talk to the NHL about the, the process in voting for a captain, the first words out of their mouth are, what do you guys know about Sid? And I'm pretty sure at the end of the day, and this is, this is my speculation, uh, that these guys, by and large, didn't want to put Crosby in that spot where they elect him as a captain for the All-Star game. And then he's got to make a decision on whether or not he's going to take part in this really sort of seminal moment for the league, this inaugural fantasy draft. It's, I mean, it's a big deal to be a captain there whether he's going to take part in this or whether he's going to kind of rehab. And I think a lot of guys probably said, you know what, we don't want to put Sid in that spot. We'd vote for him if he was healthy, but we don't know what his situation is, so we're just going to go to some, um, another, another direction. Is it, is it wrong that as a hockey fan I'm more excited for the draft? I mean, the, there's the storylines with the draft, like who do they pick first, who gets picked last, does Stahl take Ward, does Stahl take his brother? Like That's more entertaining to me than probably the game itself will be. Well, it is, but I mean, that's the first domino to fall, right? Like, to me, the, the, what's great about the draft is I think we're all excited about to see what it is and, and to see the little mini storylines and that kind of thing. But then that's going to play out for the entire weekend. You know, you are going right. to get a, a situation where potentially you can get like Sedin versus Sedin and Fastest Skater and right. stuff like that. So I mean, it's that I, I think I think you're right. I think most hockey fans that are that care about the All Star Game and and I increasingly feel like I'm in the, in the minority because I do. Uh, I think we're all really excited about the draft. And then we'll see how the rest of the play plays out. Every guy that I talked to, that um, that's an all star, or, or talking to Shanahan last night, they all seem to agree that the way that this thing is set up, where it's not just that you're placed on a team, 
but that someone is putting his faith in you as a player to come join his team, like that little psychological difference actually might make a difference in, in the amount of attention that these guys give the events. And then the other thing that's kind of going to be, I think, important is something that Shanahan brought up, is you got a lot of pride on the line for these guys that are like, used to being picked first all their lives, <laughs> and now all of a sudden, if you get chosen third, well, there's still two guys ahead of you, or maybe four guys ahead of you, that, uh, that, uh, that you don't believe should be ahead of you. So, I mean, there's an there's amount of, of that, too, and, and, and especially in, like, the guy who gets picked last. Yeah, I, mean, I got Elias. An enormous amount of, of, of motivation to kind of show up everybody uh, because you were the guy left holding the kickball at the end. Who's who's your choice for Mister Irrelevant? I got Patrick Elias. <laughs> uh, I I believe it'll wind up being Hemsky. Will be uh, will be Mister Irrelevant. Either Hemsky or David Backus. Backus, and, and the yeah, Backus yeah. argument. Is, and I'll, the listeners to the radio show kind of gave me Backus today because it makes a lot of sense. I mean, a his skill set isn't exactly all starian, right? And uh, and B. He's also the guy who started beating the crap out of all the Canadians before the Olympics, <laughs> uh, and Stahl is the guy who's the uh, is is the, uh, the 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 captain of of one team, and then you have a Detroit Red Wing right. as the captain of the other team. Uh, Backus being a St. Louis Blue, so right. the, the odds are kind of stacked against Backus really getting a good a good shake from these guys as captains. I think. Now this is kind of the brainchild. All this stuff we've been talking about is kind of the brainchild of Brendan Shanahan, and I was just wondering how you view his impact on the league has been since kind of coming on as the vice president of hockey and business development last December or December of two thousand nine, I believe. From, from a gameplay perspective, there there really hasn't been any more more important to the league in the last decade than Shanahan. I mean, he was the guy who orchestrated the rules summit before around the lockout to kind of try to modulate the game. That's where we got the red line taken out. That's where we got the dreaded shootout, so we got a lot of these things that came out of the lockout in sort of NHL 2.0, and he was tasked by the NHL to reinvent the All-Star game, and, you know, he he worked alongside Rob Blake and with other guys to kind of come up with different concepts, and and again, it may, it may work, it may not work. I think the bottom line is that there's an incredible amount of buzz about it, and if it does work, I think that the NHL will actually have reset the mold for an all-star game because there's simply no way that if this format works the nba isn't stealing the idea and finding a way to put kobe and lebron on the same team right so um if if anything they've hit on something really really big uh with this format so i i give them full marks man i it's it's been hasty there it's not been perfect i really and i said this to shanahan when we talked i, I really don't like the idea of a weekend that's allegedly for the fans marginalizing the fans' input like, like this format has. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one knows what they were voting for. They were voting for six guys to go to the All-Star game. They weren't starters. Right. They weren't captains. They weren't anything. And, they're all and that's why I think a lot of the numbers were down as far as the voting totals this year. So if they can kind of figure out a way to maybe get the fans more involved on that end, maybe go 12 instead of 6, I don't know, something like that, uh, then maybe I think that's an improvement they can make because that's, that's one, one detraction, one hiccup to this format that I'm not, I'm not too fond of. All right, well, we only got a couple minutes left here with Greg Wyshynski. Like I said, he is the editor of the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo Sports. And um, we like to talk about the media a lot on our show. And uh, I'm just wondering, what do you think Versus can do to improve their coverage and and increase viewers? Because I still feel like they're not talking to me, a hockey fan, yet. (laughs) Uh, They're not. (laughs) And and the reason they're not is is really sort of... uh 
is really sort of obvious, which is that they they believe that they have to pitch their product to a casual audience when it's just hockey nerds watching the right. podcasts. And I've said this to them, and I've said this to other guys in the industry. It makes no sense to try to like do do a general hockey show when the only people that really care are the the, the nerds on blogs and message boards. Right. So just you know do it do it for them, and uh, and they were, they they just don't think that's the way it should go. So. Here's the thing about Versus. The, the NBC-Comcast merger happened today. Yep. Um, the Versus that we all know and love will no longer exist at some point. NBC is going to take this thing over. NBC is going to rebrand the network. Um, they're going to start putting NBC stuff on there, you know, shows about Notre Dame football, that kind of stuff. And, and I think that, you know, if, the, if NBC ends up keeping the NHL in some way, shape, or form on their network and on Versus um, next season and going forward, you're going to see a complete revamp of the way that they cover the game, um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I just don't. I, be, I believe fundamentally, this merger ends the way that Versus has covered the NHL, at least from a studio standpoint, um, over the last uh, half decade. I mean, I think their game coverage is pretty good, but uh, but I think that their studio stuff is going to dramatically change now that, now that NBC's got their hands on it. Well, NBC starts their coverage this week. Their game of the week. And they got the rematch of the Stanley Cup, and they have their flex scheduling or whatnot. But it just seems like I looked at the schedule, and there's only about ten teams really that are going to end up being on NBC, and it drives me nuts. I don't know. I just don't like the way they go about it. I mean, why not try Vancouver and promote one of the greatest, best American hockey players in the league, Ryan Kessler, and the Sedins? Or why not put Steven Stamkos and the Lightning on? Why does it always have to be Pittsburgh and Washington? Well, I think the Lightning are a good example of a team that should be in the mix because that's a that's a damn exciting team. They can't do any of the Canadian teams on NBC because they don't get any local ratings from Canada. Right. So you're you're losing half the audience there by putting Vancouver on NBC. That said, you know I'm 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 I understand why NBC does what it does. My problem with NBC is some of the matchups that we see. It does feel like you know we see the Penguins against the Blackhawks or Detroit. Whenever I see the Flyers, I feel like it's either against the Penguins, the, the Rangers. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, that, that is it. And I don't know why there isn't any variation. And the same thing with the Bruins. I feel like whenever I see the Bruins, it's against the Flyers. Um, or occasionally the Capitals, maybe. And, and I'm not quite sure why there isn't more variation on that aspect. And the other thing that, that kind of gets you about, about NBC is the way that, I mean, the, the, the United States is, is, uh, is cut off in Chicago. I mean, there ain't nothing west ever ever going to be seen on NBC, which really kind right. of means you're not seeing the Kings or the, or the Sharks or the, the Ducks or some really quality teams. But, um, but again, I, I think that Versus should be the breeding ground for, for teams like Vancouver because, honestly, you've got to familiarize the viewer with them. Because they could easily be in the cup. Yeah. The, the longer you go, the more you're going to see these teams. And, and to, to completely ignore one of the best teams in hockey with, with some of the best most exciting players in hockey with a goalie that you had the gall to put into your all-star commercial before he was an all-star and you had to erase him from the commercial. Right. I mean, uh, that's, these are all reasons why Vancouver should be on that, that, net, that network a lot more than they are, um, but, but simply aren't. And, and then you get stuck with, like you said, the same, the same 10 teams in rotation or so it was. All right, just a couple more real quick ones. Give me one team that's currently in the playoffs that you don't think is going to be in the playoffs at the end of the year. One team that well, say, it, say it again. Give me one team that uh, maybe in each conference that is currently in a playoff spot at the All Star break, but you don't think will be in the playoffs when the playoffs come around. 
Uh, I hate to I hate to say it because I like them, but Colorado. Okay. Um, and, and that's kind of a cheat. They're an eight seed, but I just think that there are so many good teams that are on the outside looking in. Specifically, thinking about San Jose and Los Angeles, they're going to have to move up, and someone's going to have to move out. And I'm a believer in Dallas. I've become a believer in Phoenix. Trotz is, does what smoke and mirrors in, in Nashville. And so someone's got to be on the outside looking in. And as much as I love Colorado, I, you know, Craig, Craig Anderson's not been the same goalie this year that, that he was last year. And I could just see either San Jose or L.A. jumping up and, and, and hopping over him. Yeah. Now, is this the end of Brodeur? Is this it? <laughs> uh, no, because, look, as, as much as I, I want the Devils to blow it up, and rebuild maybe around Kovalchuk and uh, and Parise. I have a I have a problem with the idea that they will because in the back of my mind I want to I I think that Lamarillo thinks they've got one more run. You know they're, that they're going to stack up again next year for one more run. Maybe sign Parise to a one year contract that kind of thing. And if that's the case, then Marty's going to be the goalie. Right. And and maybe maybe this whole splitting time with Hedberg thing is a way to preserve to get him uh, get him rested for one more run and. I hate that as a Devils fan. I want them to, to tank. I want them to lose every game from now until the end of the season. Uh, but Who do you I don't want? Feel like Who, it's going to be that way. I mean, there's. It, it, it seems like this draft. I know TSN came out with their rankings, their midseason rankings yesterday, and they have basically four different guys. As a Devils fan, if you did win the lottery, you did have the first pick. Is it Adam Larson that you want to see on oh, your God, team? Or? But there's not even a conversation. I mean, okay. Devils, Devils hockey should be built from the blue line out, and uh, it hasn't been. Uh, and it needs to get back to it. So, uh, you know, in, in your mind's eye, you're hoping that maybe Kovalchuk and Parise are going to be able to, and Zajac are going to be your, your, your foundation up front, and then you start building out from the back, even though we're stuck with Talinder for a while. <laughs> we had him for a pay- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how, how all of a sudden Ludman became like, you know, Scott Niedermeyer. Right, and then, right. Uh, and then we get stuck with Talinder, but uh, yeah. it happened. All right, well, Greg Wyshynski, we went a little over with what I what I told you, but I really appreciate your time. Like I said, he is the editor of the, uh, the Puck Daddy blog on yahoosports.com. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. No sweat. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, it. All right, talk Thanks, to you later, Greg. Greg. All right, we're back. I just want to thank again uh, Greg Wyshynski from the Yahoo Sports Puck Daddy blog. And take a second here to remind you that you can find us on at sports underscore casters on Twitter. Uh, we're going to be up on iTunes soon, as Steve said earlier. At Facebook, you can find us at www.facebook.com forward slash the pod, the sportscasters. And you can email us at the sportscasters at gmail.com. And we're going to end the show the way we end it. Every episode with our predictions. Pick four, baby. And uh, just so everybody knows, we do keep track of this. And uh, right now we're tied 2-2. Two, two. Both of us got two right last week and two wrong. So let's start with the big game like we do every week. And we're going to try to explain this a little bit better for our listeners. We're going to do the pick four segment every week at the end of every show. And we're going to have four different categories. They're going to be the same four categories every week. And the first category that we're going to start with every week is the big game, and it's going to be the biggest game that week. And I decided this week the biggest game is the Jets and Steelers. And I decided that I'm going to pick the Pittsburgh Steelers at home in Heinz Field. And uh, here's why. I think the Jets kind of played their Super Bowl last week. Kind of felt like that, that Patriots game was everything to them. 
and I think they're on E having played the extra game against Peyton Manning. And uh, it's too much to ask to go into Indy, into New England, and into Pittsburgh in three straight weeks. So I'm going to take the Steelers. Yeah, I also took the Steelers. And uh, for a lot of the same reasons, uh, the Jets match up actually better against New England, who probably has a far superior offense to Pittsburgh. But the Steelers, they don't match up that well against. The Steelers play a lot of the same game, but probably do it better in almost every area, maybe other than rushing. So... It's it's hard to find a way the Jets win. I probably Russians? said this. rushing. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's like I said. It's it's hard to find a way the Jets win, and I might have said the same thing last week. But I'm going to stick with the Steelers this week. Okay. Well, the second category every week is going to be what we call the worldwide leader, and since we are uh, somewhat of a media podcast, um, the worldwide leader category is just kind of a wink, wink to ESPN and. And the game that uh, each host will pick on their own will be just one that's going to be on national TV uh, between Wednesday and Monday. So my pick for the worldwide leader this week, I won last week on basketball, believe it or not, Donnie, and I'm going to try to go to that well one more time. I'm going to pick the first place Chicago Bulls over the suddenly struggling Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban. You can watch that game Thursday at 8 o'clock on TNT. So I am going to go with the Chicago Bulls. Derrick Rose, baby. I actually also won on basketball, which is remarkable. Uh, and I'm going to stick with it this week again. Same night, Thursday night, 9 p.m., uh, Virginia Tech plays Maryland. And in honor of Greg Wyshynski's alma mater, I will take Maryland. Okay, the third category we're going to do every week is just the host choice. Uh, the host can pick any game that's going to be coming up in the, in the week uh, after this podcast airs. And you know what? Uh, I promised uh, earlier that we would uh, do both of the the football games, and since the big game was the AFC Championship, my host choice is going to be the NFC Championship, and I'm going to say that Greg Rogers is just too hot to be stopped right now in Buffalo's own, or Niagara Falls, I suppose, his own uh, James Starks yeah. in the backfield, and uh, I'm going to take the Packers to beat the Bears, and I'll have more on that in a minute. Yeah, I'm also going to take the Packers. Uh the Bears, I don't know. I haven't trusted them all year, and here they are, one win away from the Super Bowl. But, I mean, they did have the the perfect storm of things happen. They won their division. They got to buy. They got to play a losing team in the championship game or in the divisional game, and here they are. I was look- And Rodgers is about as hot as can be, and I was looking for – the stat, maybe you know it off the top of your head, but people kind of think like, oh, Aaron Rodgers hasn't proven anything in the playoffs. He did lose that game in Arizona. Right. But, the Darby touchdown. But his touchdown to interception ratio. Is it 11 to 1? Is it something crazy? It's like yeah. it's off the charts. So, yeah, I'm also going to go with the Packers. Okay, well, speaking of off the charts, the last category is a bold prediction. And uh, I like this category. We were this is o- fun. We were over two last week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got one right in the practice episode, but that doesn't doesn't count, unfortunately. Yeah, because that never aired. But it was good. <laughs> uh, my bold prediction this week is that Aaron Rodgers will pass for over 408 passing yards. The reason I picked 408 is because that is the most passing yards that the Chicago Bears have ever allowed in a playoff game, and that game was a famous one on New Year's Eve, 1988, the Fog Bowl game when uh, Randall Cunningham passed for 408 yards in the fog. Um, but I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers is going to go over the 408 passing yards. That's my bold prediction this week. All right, I don't know how bold you feel mine is, uh, and I'm going to reuse my bold prediction from last week that didn't win. And it seems even more bold now because he did throw for three passing touchdowns, but I'm going to again predict that 
Mark Sanchez does not throw a passing TD in this game. And it, it, for fun, I will say if they make it to the Super Bowl, I will make the same prediction the following week. Nice. All right. Well, so that's the pick four segment. It's one of our favorites. And I hope by next week we'll actually have some really slick production for the uh, for the three things and for the pick four segments that we're going to see every week. A couple things to look forward to. Um, I don't want to jinx them, but it seems like next week we are going to have Zach Cassian, uh, the first overall pick in the draft for this, or the first round pick in the draft by the Sabres. Sabres, Uh, Zach Cassian, a teammate of our friend uh, Jack Campbell, who we had on earlier. Looks like we're going to have him on next week. It also looks like we're going to have Richard Deitch, uh, who is the sports media writer at SI.com. You can look up his writing. It's actually really good. I actually really enjoy him. So we should be having that. Also next week, uh, we're going to try uh, we're going to try to fit in since there's not going to be any football. We're going to fit in the uh, the sports movie segment that we kind of talked about last week. The movie is from Thirty for Thirty. It's called June Seventeenth, Nineteen Ninety Four. Um, I think it is on demand. It's definitely for sale on Amazon. If you're a fan of the show and you want to watch the movie ahead yeah, of time, follow along. <laughs> yeah, it's called. Uh, it's we're going to do some fun things uh, talking about the movie next week. There'll be more about that. Um, and also in February, about two shows from now, we're going to do a, uh, a book club. We're going to start a <laughs> Sportscasters book club. We're going to test Don and see if he can actually, actually read, read a book, book in yeah. a month. Uh, but uh, if there's any ideas for what you want to see be the book of the month, you can email us at thesportscasters at gmail.com. So you have not picked the book just yet. But uh, one last set of plugs. Don't forget to find us on Facebook at Facebook forward slash thesportscasters. Follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Follow Don specifically on Twitter at Garbage Radio Don, and you can follow me specifically at Diversity23. And a very successful second episode of the <laughs> Sportscasters is in the books. We will see you next week. All right.